All right, welcome to a new episode of Guys Who Law. I'm Andrew Icebrook. And I'm Jesse Weber. And we got a special episode for you today. Uh, we had talked about cannabis in the past, I think, on one of our first episodes. Did we? Yeah, but we're coming back to it. Now we have a, now we have a real expert on our podcast. I know. You don't want to take our word for it. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about cannabis today uh, with Josh Bachner. He's a partner at Ansel Grimm and leads their cannabis law practice group. So welcome, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Good to be here. So the first thing I want to know is, what does it mean to practice cannabis law? <laughs> it means your malpractice carrier is on high alert. <laughs> um, basically, uh, what we do is, is we represent uh, all operators within the space. So in addition to those who touch the plant, as it's termed, the, the cultivators, the processors, the wholesalers, and, and the dispensaries, we also represent all the ancillary businesses. Um, from folks who are, who are in, in, in the lights, um, the HVAC systems, security systems, the POS systems, and all things in between. And we treat all of those businesses as if they're selling widgets, just like any other business. But the, the critical distinction is there's certain hurdles, obviously, in cannabis. And so while 98% of it may be just plain vanilla, that 2% is what's so critical that we have to know about to protect our clients. Wait, wait, when you say 98% and 2%, what do you mean? So for, for a quick example, you want to you lease property to, uh, for a dispensary in a strip mall. Okay, that's fine. You can do it. But if the landlord has financed that location, they've got a lender, there's probably a provision in their loan documents that prevents them from leasing to a tenant who's going to violate local, state, or federal law. Now, most people wouldn't consider that. The landlord's happy to do it. They've got a tenant. They're probably going to charge the cannabis operator a premium for the space. They're loving the cash flow. It's going to bring a lot of people to the strip mall, which is always what landlords want because it helps those other tenants, and that will enable them to generate cash flow to pay rent. But if you didn't consider that issue because, you know, no one's going to go back and read 3,000 pages of loan documents, all of a sudden the landlord finds she's in default on her loan obligation, and the bank's going to call the loan. So it's that little trigger that wouldn't necessarily be considered that I put in that 2% category. So let me just ask you this. Let's just take a step back, right? You mentioned the mm -hmm. legality, right? What What's the state? What's going on right now in this? Where are we in the United States, right? There's CBD, hemp, cannabis, but it's not legal all over. It's still against the law under federal law. I mean, like, where are we just from a general perspective on the state of marijuana law in the United States. Not every state has legalized it, and there's, like, different categories, right? That's exactly right. So generally speaking, there's 26 states that have some sort of legalized program, be it an adult use medical program or both. Um, and I'm going to keep this to cannabis, and we'll, we can get to hemp in a second. And for the most part, the federal government has said if a state has a, a legal program for the cultivation, manufacturing, and distribution of cannabis, the federal government's going to be hands-off. The real bar, though, to answer your question, is interstate uh, transportation. So, for example, when Nevada went adult use legal July 1st of 2017, the, the, the demand vastly exceeded the supply, so much so that there were lines outside the dispensaries and the governor actually had to call in the National Guard. Right next door in California, in Humboldt County, they had a surplus but they couldn't get that surplus across state lines into Nevada. So because all the programs are regulated by the state, and because once you cross state lines, you go to the federal issue, 
that's really the barrier right now where the federal prohibition comes into play. So, so Josh, let me ask you this. Hypothetically, if Jesse and I were to go to Colorado where marijuana is, is legal uh, recreationally, and the, we, had, we had gotten some edibles and wanted to take them back to New York, is that is that is that illegal? Yeah. And is there can can they test for can they test for cannabis in uh, edibles now, or can they, or can they only identify like straight marijuana? So they can test for it in anything. Um, I would never suggest anyone uh, fly with flour, the you know the actual plant. Um, I can tell you that people travel the country with vape pens, with edibles, and with anything but flour unhindered. Um, in that regard, the TSA has said, we are responsible for the safety and security of the plane and its passengers. If you go through security and they were to stumble upon something, usually at most what they'll do is they'll call local law enforcement, and then local law enforcement can do whatever they want. They want to do the paperwork, maybe they'll seize it, but it's very rare for any of that to happen, for any arrests to happen. Um, the one uh, possible uh, diversion from that is actually Denver International Airport has specifically said, we're not going to tolerate it anymore because... As you just said, guys like yourselves were often tempted to go there and then bring it back. Hypothetically. So Hypothetically. 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 Yeah. Over here? <laughs> you know, it's not legal in, the, in New York. You know, it's not legal in New York. Although I will say, although maybe you can explain this to me. Right. So it's not marijuana is not legal. Uh, recreational marijuana is not legal in New York. But then why do I go to my local, you know, deli? And I'm going to where the gum section is and, like, the cookies, and I see this thing called CBD chocolate. Like, how is that How is that legal? And wait, what is CBD? What is CBD? <laughs> right. So um, there is a medical program in New York for cannabis, right? And it's not legal, but it has been decriminalized. So what that means is I think now you can have up to an ounce where it only yields a citation, whereas previously it would yield to the rest. With respect to CBD, CBD in general terms, cannabidol, is the non-psychoactive component um, from either the cannabis or the hemp plant. So THC is a psychoactive component that gives you the high. CBD doesn't have that component. And so what most people use CBD for is pain relief, sleep, anxiety, appetite, and those types of things. Wait a sec. So I'm now, eating this CBD chocolate and I'm going to – like the inflammation in my neck's going to go away? Probably not, because there's probably not actually CBD in that CBD chocolate. What? I know. And that's, that's really what's happening now. So, first of all, any CBD that's combined with, with any food or dietary supplement is de facto illegal pursuant to the Food and Drug Administration. So, right off the top, that's an illegal product. And, in fact, in New York, there's been recent seizures in those types of bodegas of the product for that reason. And why now? Like, why, why, why now has this become popular? Has there been a change in law that, that allows this form of CBD in, in all bodegas in New York City? <laughs> <laughs> Not this form of CBD, because, again, it can't be in a food or dietary supplement. Okay. There was a change in the law, however. In December of this past year, the Farm Bill was enacted. And the farm bill um, legalized hemp-derived CBD, where there is less than a 0.3% concentration of THC. So that allows, at the federal level, so it's, the, it's very, very significant. The federal government doesn't distinguish between THC and CBD initially. They're both considered Schedule One controlled substances, which means they have no beneficial use whatsoever. Um, which is remarkable. Heroin is actually a Schedule II, by example. Um, 
So what the Farm Bill did is it said there are benefits to CBD along the lines we just discussed, and we want to start permitting the cult. So it descheduled it, and it's starting now to permit the cultivation of CBD from hemp that, again, has less than 0.3% THC in it. But the FDA still says you can't combine it with a food or dietary supplement, subject to regulations that might otherwise later permit it. So, so what's the difference between um, when you say hemp and, and that CBD derived from hemp? How does that differ from like me- cannabis? Is cannabis different from the, from hemp? Like, wh- what what exactly is that? So, if you remember, like your eighth grade biology, and you had the genus and the species. Nope. They're both. <laughs> nope. I, I blocked all that out. Right. I block everything right. out before. Ninth grade. <laughs> oh, see, I'm the opposite. Everything before ninth grade, I remember. Everything after ninth grade, I forget. That could also be the THC from ninth grade on. Um, so hemp historically has is, is been used for things like, you know, quite literally historically, rope, sails, um, you can make clothes. Um, and so when hemp is grown over years, it, it's actually been engineered to be very stocky and fibrous so that it could be used for those purposes. It's actually lousy. For CBD. But because of that, it also has a very low THC concentration. So the whole reason for this hemp-derived CBD as opposed to cannabis-derived CBD is it more readily permits um, you to focus on the CBD component rather than on the THC component. But generally speaking, it's not ideal if you want the best quality CBD. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So let's say I'm a some sort of company. Maybe I'm a you know personal investor. I want to invest in a new product, and I know that there's this huge craze now in the marijuana industry. There's going to be all these – look, I'm seeing CBD chocolate. Can I invest in cannabis, marijuana-related products, CBD, hemp? Can, can, can I invest in those or state, in states that it's not legalized? Can I, inv- you know, can I only invest where it is legalized? I mean I know that this is going to be like the new market. There's going to be all these different products coming out. But where can I invest my money? In the Canadian Stock Exchange. The <laughs> Canadian Stock uh, Toronto has, has done very, very well because it's now completely legal in Canada, I think as of January 1st of this year. And the CSX has, has gone gangbusters because all of these cannabis companies aren't permitted to list on the NYSC or the, or the NASDAQ, so they're all listed up there. And you can buy into any number of stocks and be you know, the returns are significant. I mean, they're all up 100, 200% um, on that exchange. If when you say you invest, you mean invest in a business, you know, more specifically than just you know be a stockholder on a, on a publicly traded stock, um, you, you probably shouldn't even consider it. Um, first of all, if you're in New York investing in Colorado, your money is not crossing state lines. That's a challenge. For a while, there are actually prohibitions in Colorado that you couldn't take out of state money. It's, sorry, it's sorry Josh, so you're saying that's a challenge sure. or that's illegal? Like if I'm in New York and I invest in a Colorado-based company, that's in your state. Am I, am I doing something illegal? You are. Okay. You would, you would not want your money from New York to be transmitted across state lines into Colorado to directly invest I, in that Colorado. Got it. Entity. Can you guys give me five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I just got to make a quick call. I'll be right back. <laughs> Hypothetically. Pull that wire back. Can't cancel that wire. Yeah. That hypothetical wire. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Andrew, next question. So let's say we lived in Colorado, though. Right now, you know, would you say it, it, it 
is a would be a wise investment to invest in the marijuana industry based on like how things are trending, or is it still too risky based on like the federal? It's not legal federally. I mean, you could be in New York and invest in the in the cannabis business, but again, I would just suggest you do it via a publicly traded stock on the CSX. Open up your Ameritrade account and and, and go to town. Um, I would not recommend even in Colorado investing in one of the businesses there because frankly, any of the successful businesses are going to want you to are already publicly traded. So, you know, it, you know you're not going to really invest in a mom-and-pop startup dispensary in Colorado. I mean, you could if you live there. Right. But the real, you know, return on your investment is going to be, you know, you're going to want to invest in, in the Apple, not in the, you know, the corner store. So in our lifetime, most of our listeners are millennials. You think in the next 20 years, maybe 50 years, it's going to be a situation where Everything's legalized. It's legalized on the federal level. And if so, like, w- what would that look like? Would we see marijuana in restaurants, in clubs? You can order it off of a menu. Like, what would it actually look like? What, is there, like, an ideal that people who are involved in this industry are like, this is what I envision? Yes, and it's probably more along the lines of a 5 to 10-year time horizon than 20 to 50. Um, I mean, even over the past five years, the, the migration towards legalization has been manifest, um, unlike anything we've seen before. And the folks, for example, who are involved in Normal, the National Organization for Marijuana Laws, they've been doing this since 1970. Their heads are spinning over how much you know things have changed over the past couple of years. But you're exactly right. You can actually you can see this in, in, in places like Colorado, Nevada, California, Oregon, Washington State, where there are there are restaurants where they infuse with uh, cannabis, so you can get ketchup with cannabis. Um, you know, more often than not, it's a little bit more fancy, but that's happening. Um, you, you can, you know, like you, like you noted, you can go and you can, in any adult use dispensary, buy flour, buy cartridges, buy uh, shatter, buy edibles, uh, chocolates and gummies and everything else. Readily accessible. The big difference will be, though, when it's federally legal, two things. The first is right now the, the banking issue, which you might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Any Any nationally chartered bank usually will not touch any cannabis money because it's considered to be illegal under federal law and it's, and it's a real problem for them. But secondly, what we're going to see, and it's already starting to happen, but big pharma and big tobacco who are already in the space are going to start to dominate it. And so you're going to see big pharma do inordinate amounts of research and develop all sorts of cannabis-based products that they're going to put on the market. And the big tobacco where people, are, you know, smoking is obviously receding, big tobacco has so much land that, you know, they can turn from tobacco plants to cannabis plants and just enter the space and dominate through their cultivation prowess overnight. And, you know, the good thing about cannabis is it grows like a weed. So it's not really that hard. And when those players enter into the market, I think, you know, they're going to buy out a lot of the big players. They're going to push out a lot of the small players. And you're going to have, you know, the opportunity to go to a 7-Eleven anywhere in the country and by the same uniform product, you know, being sold by Altria. So, so it's, you know, it seems like it's trending that way, but personally, are you, are you in, in favor of the feds and, you know, the states opening the floodgates on this and, and it becoming legalized everywhere? Not the feds. Um, I think that once, once it becomes legal at the federal level, then, like I said, guys like me are going to get pushed out pretty quickly. So it's, I, I prefer to, you know, let, let the states, um, be kind of a laboratory uh, for the development of this. And there's, each state has its own program, and there's a lot of differentiation. We're seeing what works and what doesn't work. Um, but that would, but that, so would, that, that would mean there would be no interstate 
interstate commerce of this of of, can, of cannabis, right? If it's not legal federally, correct. If it's not legal of, of cannabis, hemp will change. You're probably going to be able to have CBD derived hemp and hemp plants cross state lines in short order. They need to promote, pass the regulations, or excuse me, adopt the regulations further to that farm bill, and then you're going to see. And this, there actually was an instance of this. There's the, truckfuls of hemp are crossing state lines. Uh, one was actually seized in Idaho. Um, and, and the court said, well, yeah, this, all of this hemp had to have been grown before the act was passed in December. So it's all legal, and they, they permitted a seizure. If it does become legalized, crosses every state, becomes legalized federally, what happens to all the people who were convicted of marijuana-related crimes? Because I've, I've read that certain cities, like San Francisco, is going to retro, retroactively go back and just wipe those convictions away, like expunge them? Is that what would happen? So, yeah, it's a good question. In most states, that's what we're seeing. In New Jersey right now, that's a, a big piece of the pending legislation. Um, low-level marijuana offenses are being expunged. And so they're, they're wiped off the criminal record as if they never happened. That's exactly right. And there's a, a big movement for that, and it makes sense. I mean, frankly, you know, you've had the African-American community being arrested for low-level marijuana possession, for 100 years, and all of a sudden a bunch of rich white guys get into the space, and it's, it's, it's getting legalized, and people are making tons of money. It makes sense, because then you could get rid of, like, the prisons won't be so filled with people who have been convicted of those crimes, and you could fill the prisons with people who are convicted of more serious offenses, right? I mean, that's the idea. It's a cost-benefit analysis. I think that's right. Unfortunately, I think they'll find something else. Uh, to put minorities into prison for because the prison system is being uh, privatized and it's very lucrative, but that's probably another podcast. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It'll, it'll definitely, uh, it'll definitely change uh, the whole, the whole criminal justice system. And that, that, that's been a big piece of what we've seen a lot of minority caucuses in the various states are, are pushing that forward. Um, there are ripple effects. For example, it's quite frequent when someone is arrested for a, a drug offense that they'll blame the cop. You know, it was a setup that type of a thing, and then the cops subject to an independent uh, 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 affairs, internal affairs investigation. And so the question then becomes if the expungement happens and the arrest never happened, shouldn't you then also expunge that internal affairs investigation on the cop as well? You, you know and what? So, I, you, know, I, you have to consider it all. I do. You know what? I was thinking about this. I may have spoken too soon because the black market for marijuana is not going anywhere. People would still be... Uh, arrested for violating the regulations. So even if it becomes legal, do you think the black market for marijuana is going to be big? Because what off the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, sometimes people like weed that's mixed with other things in it. And I'm pretty sure if it, weed gets legalized, they're not going to say they're not going to allow that. Right. So would the would the black market still be huge? No. So I think it's the exact opposite. And we've seen this out west. The black market actually starts to fall by the wayside for any number of reasons. Um, but the biggest one is, is basic economics. The price point in the black market increases as marijuana legalizes. Mm. And so there's a disincentive to buy it off the street, particularly because you don't know what you're getting. You might want it waste, but then again, you might not want it waste. The quality of the product varies. Um, you know, you're more likely than not to get that, that Mexican shake that's all stems and seeds. Um, and so why pay more for that when you can go into your friendly neighborhood dispensary and get high-quality THC flour or vape cartridge or whatever else you want. So we're, we're actually seeing the black market dissipate where, where there's legalization. And, of course, that has a huge impact on crime because you don't have that criminal element around. Well, I don't know. You know, there's people out there that want that marijuana laced with cement. They really <laughs> like that. So you never know. <laughs>
God bless them. So a, a lot of people who are arguing for the, for the legalization of marijuana use the economic argument. They say, this is great tax revenue for the states that they're missing out on. And I've been, I've been reading things that like California, for example, like when they first started legalizing marijuana and I guess it was medically first and now recreationally, um, that it actually hasn't led to as much tax revenue as they originally thought. So do you, do you think that's like the main, main argument that people should be using to legalize marijuana? It's one argument. Um, California is not the best example. California had medical as long ago as 96. But the problem in California is there's actually more unlicensed dispensaries than licensed dispensaries, which means they're not collecting the revenue. The better example is Colorado, where the tax revenue is through the roof. In fact, I think three years ago now, they generated more tax revenue from the sale of cannabis than from alcohol. And if you've been out there, you know that anytime you land at the airport and you drive into downtown Denver, the road's been repaved again. Every school's got a fresh coat of paint. They have a huge surplus. So there's a huge incentive to legalize for the tax revenue. But I think more to the point, you know, cannabis has been around literally for thousands of years. You know, the, the, the two strains, indica and sativa, you know, indica comes from Nepal. I mean, it's, it's, these, these things are, are, are natural, 100% organic, and, and the, the medicinal value is inordinate. And in this country in particular, we've been depriving people of the benefits of this. So in addition to tax revenue, I don't think there'd be an opioid crisis in this country if you had cannabis. Because people would be able to treat pain with a non-addictive, all-natural substance as opposed to a pharmaceutical that is highly addictive and leads to other drug use and death. But are you concerned with the slippery slope argument, the idea like, oh, you legalize marijuana, what's next? You know, you want to legalize cocaine? You want to legalize uh, heroin? You know, if, if it's all up to an individual decision, because I'm always of the belief— and I think you could correct me if there's studies that are different, that even in states where it's been legalized and legalized to a certain extent, I don't do you see more people smoking or you or ingesting, you know, some sort of products like this? Or is it just if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. It's not really going to change anything. But I, I guess I'm curious about that slippery slope argument. Well, I mean, I don't see the slippery slope with respect to additional legalization. I also don't see the slippery slope with respect to the argument that, that marijuana is a gateway drug that's been squarely refuted. Um, but, but, you know, primarily as well, you, you can identify real benefits from cannabis that you're not going to get from cocaine or heroin, right? There's very little benefit. I mean, you're, you're going to have fun, but you're not going to be able to treat anxiety, PTSD, uh, cancer. I uh, don't no, not treat cancer, but, you know, the benefits of it when you're undergoing. Gosh, the 80s were issues. a crazy time, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, when, I was, sure when, I was there, right. <laughs> when I was three. When I was three years old. Right, right. But, but no, of course, but, you know, look, you want to be world famous, be the first person to overdose on cannabis. So you're saying, though, but, and this is what I'm fascinated with, one of the main critiques of, of legalizing it is that people are concerned about being high and getting behind the wheel of a car. Do you know... If the effect of getting high and being behind the wheel of the car is different than getting drunk and getting behind the wheel of a car, I mean, like, what is the difference between the two? Oh, it's a huge difference. When you're drunk and you're behind the wheel of a car, you're going 80 miles an hour on a side road, you're running stop signs, you're on the sidewalk, and you're a maniac. When you're high... You're two, two miles per hour. You're going two <laughs> miles per hour. You're going two miles per hour. You're stopping 30 feet from the intersection. I mean, look, when I was in Aspen a couple of years ago for, for the first time, and, you know, I'm a New Yorker, I was getting to the intersection across the street, and a car stopped, like 15 feet from the intersection. And in my typical New Yorker way, you know, my, my sighting sensor went up, and I was like, what's going on? Why is this person stopping? You know, so why aren't they running me over? I, you know, this is, uh, 
And then I realized everyone's high. So they're happy to stop and wait and let me cross and give me plenty of time. Right? No, 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 one, no one's ever come home high and beat up their wife. Right? No one's ever come home, you know, uh, high and, 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 you know, got angry and started throwing things against the wall. But it is something that can make you, like, very, very tired, right? And you, you, maybe you'll fall asleep at the, wheel, at the wheel more easily, you know? Look, I, I am by no way, shape, or form condoning, you know, driving under the influence, whatever that influence may be. That's 100% wrong. Um, and it, it shouldn't be done. But the fact of the matter is, as well, you know, when, what do you do when you're high? You sit on the couch, you eat pizza, and you watch a movie. Is that really what happens? I mean, I, what I'm saying is, like, you, you said it best, like, alcohol, how many times do we see violent incidents that have been infused by alcohol? So you're saying you haven't seen incidents where marijuana, strictly marijuana, has led to that kind of behavior. I mean, look, it's, it's, I, I can't speak, uh, you know, in an absolute that no one has ever been high and angry. But I can tell you that, that the effects of, of, of cannabis actually counter anger. Right, it, it, it actually relaxes people. I mean, many people microdose now with cannabis. It, uh, it's two point two and a half milligrams, you know, in the morning, and it's basically the equivalent of taking a Xanax. It relaxes people, and it's hard to be angry when you when you're relaxed. Um, I mean, another example, you know, people go out to, to Vegas now, and it, you know, couples, and inevitably the husband, because it's always the guy, you know, wants to try something, and he's 50 years old, and he'll eat a whole chocolate bar rather than just a square, and he'll go bonkers, right? Yeah. And so what happened, they called the paramedics, and the paramedics say to the wife, look, you have two options. We can either take him in the ambulance to the hospital, the pump his stomach, he'll be miserable, and it'll cost you $10,000. Or you can put him in bed, put out a movie, order a pizza, give him some water, and it'll be done in three hours. Can they test for cannabis in your system like they can with alcohol? Like when you, are, when, when you do the walk, when you get out of the car, and they're, and they're testing for a, you know, a DUI, can they do that for cannabis? So it's, it's very, very tricky for cannabis because cannabis stays in your system for up to 30 days or longer. So you could be driving completely sober, but if they were to do, for example, a, a blood analysis, there might still be traces of cannabis in your system. Um, there's something called GREs, drug recognition experts, and there's a lot of controversy over them, where they um, allege to be able to tell if someone is high through roadside sobriety tests. But there's really very little uniformity. And, and so, you know, one example is something called green tongue, and I, I'm not suggesting that you guys have ever used, but sometimes when people do use, they have a dry mouth effect from cannabis. And so the cop will look to see if the tongue looks, you know, have these white modules on it suggesting that it's dry. Yeah, it I've, heard, I've heard that's called cotton mouth or something like that. Yeah. Cotton mouth, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know a guy so, right? who knows a guy who told me that. <laughs> right, but it's, it's silly. So the, the, it's actually, you know, forget about investing in, in, in a cannabis business. If you really want to invest in something to make some money, Invest in the first roadside uh, cannabis test that you can determine whether someone's actually high at the time of operating the vehicle as opposed to have been high a week ago. And that will sell to every law enforcement agency in the country overnight, and, and you'll be a gazillionaire. That's, that's where there's real money. All right. We, we might not air this podcast now so people don't steal that idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to the idea of, like, obviously there would be a benefit to states taxing it, you know, the question of how much, whatever. How does it work in terms of, let's say you're a state, you get $300 million from taxing of marijuana, cannabis-related products, right? Where does that money go? Does it have to be earmarked to a certain place? Because off the top of my head, I think it should go to the food and beverage industry in order to, you know, that case of munchies. But I'm thinking, like, where does that money go? Does that have to be 
does it have to like go to a specific project? You know, I read one thing that like, okay, if you want to be a state where it's legal and you're going to tax it, then that money has to go to programs aimed at children to tell them about the dangers uh, or the risks of marijuana related products. Like, does it have to be earmarked for a certain thing? It doesn't have to be. And each state treats it differently. So some states will take a portion of those revenues. And to your point, it'll be drug education for, for children. Um, another portion of those revenues often go to localities to support law enforcement. Um, another portion of those revenues often go to schools. But it's up to the state. You know, everything goes into the, the state's coffers, and then through the budgeting process, they can use that tax revenue however they want. Um, in some instances, like, for example, in New Jersey, they're, they're, they're originally proposing a, a percentage of the tax, you know, 1%, 2 and 3% gradually over, over each year would then uh, of the tax revenue generated from each sale would go to local uh, law enforcement, by example, to the municipality. Um, but it's, it's all up to the state how they want to handle the revenue. And before we wrap up, because we're coming to the end here, what, what's going on in New York? I mean, the reason I asked is I was thinking that was one of the reasons or one of the things New York's thinking about if they want to legalize it. I mean, what is going on in New York right now? So currently New York has a uh, probably the worst program in the country. It has a vertically integrated medical program, which means that they have to you have to, each operator has to cultivate, manufacture, and sell. Um, so if you go into one of the dispensaries, you're only able to purchase what that dispensary has already cultivated or manufactured. Um, having said that, there's a lot of change on the horizon, and Cuomo has actually uh, got a commission with the responsibility to come up with a better model. And the reason is what you guys are suggesting earlier, the revenue. Massachusetts is now legal. New Jersey is going legal. Pennsylvania. So New York sees all of this tax revenue going elsewhere, and so it knows the writing's on the wall. So between Cynthia and Nixon kind of pushing him to the left on the issue and recognizing you know, New York is New York, the huge amount of revenue that can be generated from these sales, and not wanting everyone to hop on the path train to go to Jersey every Friday night and then come back into the city, they're probably going to have a far more robust medical program, and that, that'll naturally segue into an adult use program as well, I'd say within the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on. Uh, Jesse, Jesse and I have taken a bunch of notes for our next trip to Colorado. And, and I, I got to ask you the million dollar. I got to ask you the million dollar question. Uh-huh. In your office, is there like a painting or a drawing of like weed, like you know, like a little plant, I, I, like a little leaf, cannabis leaf? Uh, well, I'll tell you a couple. I, I, we have a, a number of uh, magazines in the office, which all prominently display the, the flower uh, in, in our reception area. Uh, certainly in my office, but I also do very proudly wear a lapel pin of the cannabis leaf from normal. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty uh, transparent with what we do and how we do it. No, no fear. Well, if anybody listening has any cannabis needs, uh, Josh is at Ansel Grimm. Uh, they're located in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. Anywhere else, Josh, that I'm missing? Yeah, you got it. Those are the places. Um, so, yeah, give him a call if you... Uh, if you have any questions or need anything. And Josh, thanks for coming on. And uh, we definitely learned a lot. Thanks so much. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Josh.